From the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, this is Deep Dive, a podcast about Louisiana and the people and ideas that make it work. We're rolling back to the entrepreneurial beginnings of some of Louisiana's biggest employers, the innovative sparks that started major movements, and the how-to behind our most creative problem solvers. I'm your host, Stephen Wagesback. All right. Well, we are here for our latest edition of Deep Dive, and this time it's a new one. It's Deep Dive Live, where we're uh, we're recording in front of a, a live audience, which is kind of cool and new for us. And this one also has another special feature. Um, this one is part of our Free Enterprise Institute Boot Camp. These are uh, boot camps we've done uh, for the last couple of years around the state where we try to encourage people from the business community, encourage people around Louisiana who are civically minded to learn more about running for office, what it takes, what to expect, and to try to encourage them to put their name on the ballot and and run for office. Our, Our view is that the more we can get people who have experienced a lot of different situations in the real world to run for office, um, the more well-rounded some of our policies will be. So uh, we're, we really enjoy doing the boot camp and really enjoy um, having those opportunities, not just to teach to some of these uh, local leaders around the state, but also listen from them and learn from them as well. And speaking of learning, I have two great um, people that I'm going to be interviewing today as part of this. And uh, first, I'll say to my right, if you were watching this at least, you would know that, um, is Mayor Nick Hunter from Lake Charles. And to my left is Preston Castile, who is a member of the State Board of Education, um, both fairly newly elected people here in Louisiana. So with that, uh, welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us here today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. So keeping with the kind of campaign motion, we're going to uh, um, issue, we're going we're to get into all that stuff and what drove them and also, but let's do kind of the basics first. And so I'll start with you, Mayor Hunter. Um, you came from the business world. You're a restaurateur, if you will. Um, you ran for the uh, police jury, I think, first in 2011. And then after a couple of years of that, you decided to run for mayor. So talk a little bit, if you don't mind. What was that aha moment, if there was one? What was that original motivation that made you say, hey, I want to run for office and make a difference in my community? I think it was probably studying at uh, McNeese State University. I was, a, I was a history major, and I studied a lot of Louisiana political history and got very interested in that and kind of saw some... Uh, characters in our political history, and I, I thought if these guys could characters, do it, huh? Yeah, <laughs> definitely some characters. I did my senior thesis on Earl Long, and that was I, a character. You were right a about character. that. I, I remember listening to some Earl Long audio clips and thinking, "There's no way this could be real." And those were his <laughs> speeches, those stump speeches back in the '40s, and I think he died in '59. So he, he was around a lot longer than Huey. Yeah. Anyway, I was inspired by that, and and I thought, you know, if these guys could do it. I think I could too. <laughs> and um, just kind of had a revelation that success in business was important to me, but also uh, trying to make a difference in my city was equally as important. And I realized that I got a, a high off of the successes that I had in the nonprofit world and the help I was doing in some of the civic engagement I got a high off that just as much as as I got excitement off of financial or business success. So that's what made me consider public office. Um, The police jury was a great way to kind of dip my toe in the water uh, before I dove in as mayor. I'm really glad I started with that. 
and um, replaced a police juror who had been there for 20-something years. Uh, he retired and, and ran for his seat and won, and then replaced a mayor in Lake Charles that had been there for 17 years, one of the longest yeah. serving mayors in our history, a great man, a friend and mentor, Randy Roach. And, uh, and it's been quite a journey, but I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been a very rewarding journey so far. Well, it's also, I would imagine, been a challenging journey because if anyone's paying attention knows how much of a struggle it's been in Lake Charles over the last year and a half or so, and your leadership is well-respected around the state. You've handled that situation very admirably, and we're going to get into some of that in a moment if we can. So I guess with Preston, I'll go to you. Um, what was your first moment? You obviously come from, you, you've been a very actively involved person over the years. You're, you're an attorney. You, you were a partner at Taylor Porter. I guess now technically you're of counsel, but you're still a big wig over there, if you will. Um, you've, you've taught at the Law Center. You've been an ad hoc judge. You've done a lot of things. You've been involved with stuff. But one day you decided you wanted to run for office. Talk a little bit about that aha moment for you. What drove you to make that jump? Well, I'll tell you, Stephen, I was not thinking about it at all. I've served as volunteer this, volunteer that on lots of nonprofit boards and enjoyed in all of my spare time just supporting the community as much as I possibly could. And when the opportunity to run for Bessie came along and someone approached me and said, you know, you should really consider doing this, I said, I'm not a politician, I'm not doing that. Uh, and after thinking about it several months, you know, candidly, uh, it has been a progression from volunteering. So as all of you know, Bessie is a, is a non-paid volunteer position. And it really is sort of that progression from I've served on nonprofits, can, can you take your talents and resources and serve in a different capacity? And strangely enough, I, I tell you, it, it, I don't really feel like a politician in the traditional sense until people remind me that you're a politician and all those things are important. I, I think it really hit me when someone said that you have to go out and actually raise money for a campaign that I realized that this was very real. But it really, for me, has always been, how can I serve the community in a way that maybe I hadn't done it before? And serving in public office, and for those who might be thinking about it, it is just absolutely wonderful. Uh, there are lots of horror stories, but for me, the opportunity to serve the people of the state, to meet people all the time, to hear about their issues and their challenges, and, and people call you about all sorts of things. My campaign manager said, you're gonna be, you're gonna hate serving in office because I loved campaigning so much. And being out, talking to regular folks, hearing their issues, and engaging with people was just a lot of fun for me. And so it's, it's a job on one hand, but for me, it has been really um, a pleasure to serve as it was a pleasure to run. And so maybe it really hasn't hit me yet, Stephen, because you know, <laughs> we've, we've gone through the pandemic, and folks said when I was considering running that Bessie is not a real heavy lift. You, we meet maybe every other month. You're going to spend maybe you know, six or seven meetings a year. It's not a lot of work. Preston, this was the pitch to me. You should really do this because it's not that much work. Well, as you know, Stephen, that after uh, I was elected and, and my colleagues, um, I was told probably the toughest thing I'd have to decide on is whether to approve John White's contract. Well, John White quit right after I was elected. So I'm not sure if I should be offended by that or not. But John White quit. 
And then short, I think the week that he stepped down, the governor announced that he was closing all school buildings in the state of Louisiana. So we had lost our superintendent, all school buildings had closed down, and now we're faced with making, frankly, decisions that meant life or death. Because we now, as a school board, which I never would have imagined, had to decide whether children would go back into school buildings, whether adults would go back into right. school buildings. And for me, I will tell you that it was more than I ever expected, but it's been way more fun and enjoyable in the sense that I really think that I'm making a contribution in my own small way. You know, it's interesting you bring up kind of the unpredictable nature of public service. And, you know, Mayor Hunter, you kind of mentioned that, all, and you've embodied that as much as anyone. People who run for the first time, a lot of times when you talk to them, they, they run for X reason. You know, I want to accomplish this objective, or I want to make sure this is advanced in Louisiana. And then when you get in public service, it's all the unpredictable things that can become your, your mission one, two, and three. You, you, you ran with one agenda, and you were told this, you were going to be the John White contract. That was going to be the issue. If in short order, no, you're trying to understand a virus. You're trying to understand how that impacts schools, what the right way to deal with all that is. You had no idea that was coming. But public service is that unpredictability. I guess, Mayor Hunter, I'll go back to you. No one probably has felt that as much as you have. You know, you ran for an agenda. I don't know what your original agenda was, but it's been turned upside down in the last year and a half. Talk about what it feels like to have to pivot on the fly like that and be almost nimble and agile uh, to, to, to deal with what your community's needs are, um, even more so than what maybe your original priority was when you ran in the first place. Sure. Well, again, as, uh, as someone who studied history, I always try to put things in perspective, and I think about the 20th century, and you try and think about different things that humanity has gone through. And I remember some moments in, in 2020 where I was trying to remind myself, you know, people have been through this before. We're going to be okay. People have, people have had pandemics happen, you know, every 100 years. Uh, lucky us. We, we, we are the, uh, the next generation that has to deal with this. And then later in the year, uh, we had a hurricane, August 27th. Hurricane Laura was the fifth strongest hurricane to hit mainland U.S. in modern history. Second strongest hurricane to hit state of Louisiana in 150 years. Wow. And that includes Katrina. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, after that, there were many people in Lake Charles that said, okay, you know, this is a lot, but we're Lake Charles. We can handle this. Six weeks later, we got hit by another hurricane, uh, Hurricane Delta. They ran out of names last year. I had to start going to the Greek alphabet. And so <laughs> then we got hit by Delta six weeks later. After that... There was a smaller group that said, okay, what more could happen in Lake Charles? And then in, uh, in late February, I think, maybe early March, it's been a long, long year, uh, we got hit by Winter Storm Uri. And Winter Storm Uri was the strongest winter storm to hit the city of Lake Charles in about 30 years. Wow. And so at this point, it is, it's almost a little comical uh, what we have been through. And my, my staff did some research in the last 25 years the city of Lake Charles has been affected by 10 uh, federally declared natural disasters in the last 25 years. That's an unbelievable rate, you know. It's, well, well um, let me finish my statement. Four, uh -oh. Uh -oh, there's more to four come. of those 10 have been in the last 12 months. Four of those 10 have been in the last 12 months. Five of those 10 have been in my term as mayor. And I uh, was hesitant to say that. You talk about a bad luck charm. I was thinking I was the bad luck charm <laughs> for Lake Charles. But it, you do have to pivot. 
and you have to, you know, you have to react to the circumstances that you're presented with and the scenario that you're presented with. You do come into office with an agenda. You do come into office with a philosophy, with a to-do list. But um, there's always going to be situations that come up, and there's going to be things that I have. There are things I have dealt with in the last four years that never in my wildest dreams did I think I would have to deal with. I remember uh, reading a book called Rising Tide by a guy named John Barry mm-hmm. uh, at, at McNeese. It was a great book. And he also wrote a book about the Spanish uh, flu, the pandemic of 1918. And I remember at the time thinking, you know what? I'm never going to need to know about a pandemic. I'm not going to read this book. <laughs> I'm a fan of John Barry, but I'm, I'm not going to read this book. Uh, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Completely wrong. I ended up buying the book about six months ago and yeah. reading it. And so you just, you never know the things you deal with. You never know until you get in there and you got to be able to pivot. You got to be able to react. And uh, that's what we've tried to do. You know, dealing with these adversity moments that come upon you, whether it's a storm, whether it's figuring out how to deal with uh, school openings during a virus, what are some of the things as you turn it from a candidate into an elected official, what, what are, what are some of the most important things or advice you give to other folks in those moments in adversity? Is it better to get the, the policies right? Is it better to be a clear communicator to your people, to your constituencies? What, what has been the, the best thing that advice you could give to others in those moments? What is your first, second, and third thing you have to do? You have to embody in order to, to lead your constituency through those tough times. Well, for me, especially uh, with the pandemic, it was get people around you that you trust, um, hear a lot of different opinions. My philosophy with my team is when we sit down in a room together, if you want to disagree with me, if you want to tell me you think I'm wrong, that's okay. I invite you to do it. Let's, let's have those hard discussions. Um, so get a lot of people around you that, that you trust, especially with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I tried to rely on, on people that were educated in science and medicine. You know, that, that shouldn't be a novel thing to do during a pandemic. So that's what I tried to do. And, uh, and then once you exit that meeting and you make a decision, you know, make it boldly. It, it's, I think it's okay if you have to uh, adjust or, or, you know, if, if you made a decision publicly that you eventually have to go back and change, I think that's okay. But I, I think especially in the middle of something like a pandemic, the worst thing is to have mixed messages or have mm-hmm. some kind of wishy-washy philosophy. And I remember one of the most precarious, uh, stressful moments of my first term as mayor was on a Wednesday, I received a call from our chief medical officer of one of our largest hospitals. And he said, Nick, we're about to run out of hospital beds. Something has got to change. And this whole conversation about a mask mandate was very controversial. And I I got a coalition of people together and I said, okay, what's the right thing to do? And uh, the vast majority, I'm talking like 95% of the medical people I visited with said, you need to do a mask mandate. So we were ready to do one. Uh, The governor, took a lot of heat off of my shoulders when he announced it on a Saturday and we were going to announce it for Lake Charles on a Monday. Uh, and, and you know what? It was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It was a very controversial thing. It's still controversial. Uh, but I have spoken with doctors. I have spoken with local people that I trust and, and it was, it was the right thing to do. So that's, that's just one example 
of, of uh, trying to tackle a problem that you never thought you would have to, to visit in your entire life, but leaning on people you trust, leaning on experts and making a decision and sticking to it until you, until you maybe realize it was the right thing or the wrong thing to do. So Preston, it, uh, his thought is surround your, yourself with talent and encourage them to tell you what you need to hear, maybe not what you want to hear, and act decisively and boldly when you're ready to make a call. Um, that works for a city dealing with that. You mentioned you've got, you know, Bessie has a complicated constituency because State Board of Education develops a lot of policies, but at the same time, you have local leaders that have to make their own decisions. You're advising them as much as making them do anything. What are some of the lessons that you would give advice to someone when you have to, um, you have to show leadership in a time of a challenge like a, like a virus, um, but maybe you, you don't have the ability to make local districts do something. You have to encourage them to do it. Talk about some of the things you had to go through to, to make sure that the right policies were put in place. Yeah, no, great question. And I'll, I'll tell you that sort of dealing with one now, uh, it's so important that when you are faced with problems and uh, challenges that you look for opportunities and they will be there. It's an opportunity to bring people together uh, it is an opportunity to maybe revisit that original agenda, agenda that you had when you first ran for office because uh, it presents itself in the middle of chaos. Mm -hmm. If you really remain level-headed and think about how can you pull folks together. So right now, for example, I cover, my district covers 14 parishes, which means I've got 14 superintendents to deal with and 14 local constituents. And right here in Baton Rouge, one might think a small issue is a small issue, but it's a bigger issue for others. And so the local superintendent here, for example, uh, has proposed that school opens eight days early. And that might seem to some like not a big deal. And I think to him, it, he thought that this is a great way to get an early start on the next year. Let's see what we can do to uh, address learning loss, all, all very well intentioned. And when you make a decision to the mayor's point, sometimes you have to pivot because you may not have considered all of the issues, everybody involved, and when you get pushback, what do you do about that? So the teachers, as everybody's been watching, have, have had a lot to say about that, and a lot of very good things. So mm -hmm. I've attended in the last couple of days a number of town halls, and I got to hear you know, great arguments, and I'll give you an example of one. So one teacher said in response, speaking to the superintendent who was at the mic, local superintendent, not the state superintendent, so I'm just sitting in the audience. And hearing the community discourse uh, is wonderful. This teacher said, look, we're just tired. We want the entire summer off because we gave our all all year. We're on the front lines and we just need a break. We just want to rest after all we've done. And we're going to come back again next year, and we're going to give it our all, and we're going to do a fantastic job of teaching your kids, the community's kids. But we just need more time, time to rest. And I thought to myself, if I were the superintendent, after that teacher spoke, I would have said, anything you want. <laughs> You're right. I, I agree. And then that superintendent stood up and said, and I thought he could never have a possible comeback to that, and he said, but we want to do this for the kids. I, I know it's, it's eight days, but it's important that we try to figure out how we can do more for kids. And so two very good arguments by people who mm -hmm. are all well-meaning, 
And you have to figure out how to balance that. And so here I am on Bessie on the outside that I don't have authority to tell any one of these folks what to do. But can I offer advice? Can I offer support? Can I help pull people together, have conversations? And so I think it's important when you're a, a leader, because whatever position you hold, you are a leader. You're perceived to be one, and you have an opportunity to do that. And if you can bring people to, together to the table to have a conversation and figure out problems that, frankly, we haven't faced before, because as the mayor said, you know, who would have predicted all of this? How do you deal with it? And I think you've got to remain level-headed and be open-minded and figure out ways that we as a community, as a society, can solve a problem that perhaps we never dealt with before. And so for me, it's always, let's look for the opportunity, keep an open mind, remain nimble, and then come up with a solution. And then, you know, to the mayor's point, be bold about it and say, this is what I believe. But I'm also willing to listen and change my opinion, but I'm going to listen to as much as I can, but ultimately we have to make a decision one way or another. So I guess to wrap all of that up, and I, and I say to all those that are, are listening, when there are problems, when there are, there's chaos, when there are hurricanes, when there's a pandemic, there are always opportunities there to make policy better, to solve problems for the greater community. Look for those and then build coalitions, reach out to people, and people genuinely at their core want to do the right thing. And if you listen, and you listen carefully enough, you're going to find wonderful answers. I think that's a, a very good point. And, and, you know, there's several things to take away from that. But the one I kind of heard was, you know, I think a lot of people, when they look at an elected official from the outside, if they've never run before, what they see are the tweets, the press conferences, the article in the paper. Those are the moments they see the leadership happening. They see the decisions being made. The truth is, there's countless engagements in between those moments. Maybe it's a, a, a forum that only a handful of people are at. Maybe it's a conversation you're having on the phone with a local other community partner. It's all those little lighter engagements of leadership that really make these decisions work. And so often, people just want to look for the big splash moment and not realize that the true leadership requires daily constant engagement, open-mindedness, level-headedness, as you said, uh, being able to look for those opportunities to bring people together. And I think the true people that can turn a, a candidacy into effective leadership can get, you know, when you run for office, you have to live kind of in a talking point world, right? You have to, you have to sell your talking points and your personality. When you get in leadership, you have to get out of that talking point world and get into how do we solve problems? And how do I kind of get into the nuance of that? I mean, so I, I do think that's an important point to make there. So let's talk about also some of the fatigue you mentioned. With the, that teacher said at that, that forum, I think the whole society is tired right now, right? 20 has been a tough year, whether you live in Lake Charles or not. It's been a tough, tough tiring year. But at the end of the day, whether you want to admit it, you're politicians. You have to run for re-election. Uh, Mayor Hunter, you just got re-elected, but Preston, yours is coming up. Talk a little bit about what it's like campaigning, raising money, bringing in a political discussion in a fatigued society right now, because people are kind of tired and, and, and stressed out. You know, is, is it hard to campaign right now? Is it hard to politic right now in, 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 a, in, a, in an era where everyone's just kind of like sick and tired? Yes. <laughs> yes. Short answer is yes. I, I, for those of my colleagues who, are, who have run through the, the pandemic, fortunately, uh, I was elected before all of this began, but I've watched a lot of my colleagues here locally in other races, the judicial races, where I've watched folks run what was supposed to be maybe a three-month campaign 
run for an entire year. So I, that's where you really have to be bold and courageous and willing to, to fight real hard to make it through the campaign. Uh, but again, embrace opportunities. And one, out just in terms of tales from the trail, I've watched a number of folks here locally that will run for an office and they lose. And then they're heartbroken. But then another door opens right behind it. So sometimes you're running for a particular office and that's your dream. But when you run and you put your name out there and you expose yourself, maybe you don't get it that first time, but people are watching always. And sure enough, another opportunity that you may or may not expect will come along. And you've got to always, if you're interested in public service, look for those opportunities, but realize that when doors close, others open, and be prepared to take advantage of that. And just locally, for those who pay attention to politics locally, we saw that happen on a number of instances where someone lost a tough race, and then all of a sudden another seat opens up, and they, I won't say walk right in, but they were perfectly positioned uh, to do that. Now, in, in my case, in terms of, you know, I've, I've got a little bit more time before I have to start campaigning, and I really hadn't thought about it, except that the best way to campaign is that you're, you've got to always think about you're serving your community. And I think the best campaign strategy, once you're in office, is do a really great job. Return people's phone calls, <laughs> emails. Seems simple the way up. you describe it. It, it, it <laughs> seems simple, but doing a great job, you're campaigning all the time and saying, look, I'm doing a great job, and if you want me back, you should, ha you should invite me back and hire me again. And if, you, and if you think of it as we've got campaign cycles and I'll show up in four years and start campaigning again, I think that's a huge mistake because people are always watching and you're building your, your record every single day in your current office. Well, if there's any testament to that, it's probably you, Mayor Hunter. You just were reelected in a city that had filled with constituents who had plenty of reasons to be upset. And you mentioned all the storms and tragedies, yet they went to the polls and gave you an enormous um, uh, show of support and reelected you. So what was that campaign like, politicking and campaigning during a, a time of recovery? Well, first thing I want to say is everything he said, <laughs> and, and it's true. Uh, this last campaign was very different than four years ago. And, and Lake Charles is an interesting city. Uh, I kind of compare Lake Charles, it's almost a microcosm of the state of Louisiana. We're a very diverse city. Uh, there's a lot more registered Democrats in the city of Lake Charles than Republicans. Uh, and when I ran four years ago, I am a Republican. I can't tell you how many people said you will never win. You'll never win. Uh, Lake Charles never had a Republican mayor. It's just the, the demographics don't work. I won, but in the runoff uh, four years ago, I, um, I, I was with a, a gentleman who I have a lot of respect for, but there were still people even after I won that said, well, he won because it was just the perfect scenario, and, and he was – he was up against the, the perfect candidate. They called you a fluke? That's not Yeah, right. they Come did. On, there were some people that called me a fluke, and that bothered me. Yeah, It really sure. bothered me. And so what you said about just do a good job, uh, immediately as soon as I came in office, I said, you know, I want to do a good job, number one, because that's why I ran for mayor. But in four years, I'm going to get reelected, not because of a fluke, but because of a track record. And, uh, and that's what I strove for was to – really uh, every day of those four years go into office with a passion and a desire to to try and, and solve problems and try and, and 
push a city forward. And then, especially in 2020, I mean, man, there were a lot of times where people like Preston and I could have stuck our head under the covers and said, I'm not going to work today. This is too much. And there were some days where I felt like doing that. I mean, there were some days in the aftermath of a pandemic and a hurricane where it really weighed heavily on your shoulders. But you, uh, you remind yourself the, the honor that, that it is to be a, a public servant and the, the honor that it is to have someone walk into a, a voting booth and, and push your name as opposed to others. And so this, this last campaign uh, was very different than four years ago. The, the pandemic was a part of that. In the city of Lake Charles, uh, with what we went through with the pandemic and a couple hurricanes and winter storm, it was very awkward to ask people for money. And that's another thing, if we're being very honest, it takes money to run campaigns. And I have never been bashful about asking people for money. And one of the best things I did was I raised a lot of money when I first ran. And a lot of that, uh, that financial cushion helped push me uh, over in this second campaign where I had to raise a little money, but not as much as I, I had to go out and beat the bushes the first go round. And I'm very glad I did that because it, it was a tough environment to go ask people for money right now. Um, and, uh, and yes, the campaign trail is, is always stressful, but, but recently it's, it's just a very unique time we find ourselves in. Uh, the other thing I would mention about campaigns, and this is whether we're in these interesting times or not, is social media is a double-edged sword. And social media can be our, our, our greatest friend if we're trying to communicate information. Uh, social media can also be our worst enemy <laughs> if we're trying to communicate information. Right. And during a campaign, it, it can be used very effectively. And sometimes... If you're the candidate, you can get beat down uh, by, by social media. And I encourage people to remember that even if it's a, a relatively organized group on social media, remember that there's a, an entire group or population of citizenry who don't go and, and tweet daily or post right. things daily. And to not get beat up, not let yourself get so beat up by two or three people who are very active and, and anti you uh, to, to remember there's a there's a, a big group of people out there that are voters. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Talk a little bit, both of y'all, if you can, kind of, I guess, that balance you have to have as an elected official. I mean, I don't know if it's blinders or what, but you have to, you mentioned the double-edged sword of social media. You have to use it, you have to be aware of it. At the same time, you don't want to constantly be reading some of the nasty things people will say because then you can get into a funk, right? And then also, you also both have families who love and care about you. You have friends who do the same. They see these things. Talk a little about the human dynamic of what is said about elected officials today. It can be pretty rough out there and how your, your, your spouses, your children, your friends and family kind of deal with that. Talk about as a candidate and going into elected official, how does your family respond to this and how do they like kind of the, uh, the criticism that goes out there for any elected official, whether deserved or not? That's a, that's a tough question on, on one hand because uh, my wife in particular, she tries not to pay attention to all of that. She, um, but, I, you know, for me, I will tell you that it's hard not to take it personally, but you have to. Uh, uh, make sure you guard against what you hear someone say because it might be two or three people that might be saying something. 
And it's tempting to say, you know, Sally said this, and I feel bad about it. But Sally might be one of half a million people. And, but because Sally said it, and she said it 10 times on social media, and then repeated it over and over again, that if you pay too much attention to it, you, you do miss the other 499,999 right. people who aren't saying that. And so it is important to realize that social media, newspaper, television, word of mouth, these are all tools. But you've got to look at the, the broader picture and then also recognize that when you enter into this, no matter what you do, no matter how good your idea is and how well you serve, somebody's not going to like you. Somebody's not going to like your idea, and that is just a fact of life. And I think the moment you accept that when you go into public service, that there is no way people are going to all like you and accept what you recommend, then I think you will be better off because then you can develop that thin, that thick skin. That means that you can now serve, and it's like an armor, that it's a shield that, right, okay, I expected someone to say something bad about me. Bring it on. I know what's coming. But in, in fact, I, for me personally, sometimes when people, when some people are complaining and there's a lot of noise, it means at least I'm, I'm doing something. And if you don't Shaking want to, it be, up a little if bit, you don't want to be criticized, stay in bed, pull that cover over you, over your head, and do nothing. And no one will say anything. Well, maybe some folks will. My <laughs> wife will say something about it for sure. But if you get out there and you challenge and you push, and you get it right and you get it wrong and you get it right and you get it wrong again, you're at least trying. And the people will sometimes respect you because they know that you're doing your absolute best. And and the pandemic has really shown that incredibly because we don't always know what the right answers are. Nobody does. But the fact that we all recognize that we're human and that we should give each other grace and that we're trying and, and deep in our hearts, we're doing it for the right reasons. Even if we get it wrong in, in the minds of someone, if people really see that what you're doing is well-intentioned, that will go a long way. So I, I think for those who are considering running, those who are in office, recognizing always that you're not going to please everybody, and that is a part of the job. And I think that mentality will help you go a long, long way. Mayor Hunter? Thick skin. you got to have thick skin. And I'm in the, I come from the restaurant industry where 98% of the time I can make someone happy. I mean, even if I have to buy them their meal, if I burn their steak, that's the worst thing that happened. I can buy them their meal, and, and we can typically leave on good terms, and they'll come back. Politics is not like that at all, at all. And you have to have very thick skin. And, and to what he said, you have to realize that if you want to really affect some change, you're going to have some people that are upset with you. You're going to have some people that disagree with you strongly. And um, Do your friends and family have that same thick skin that you do? No. <laughs> my <laughs> wife is, uh, she's my biggest cheerleader, and she's also very, uh, she, she's, She's defensive, you know, she wants to, you know, she'll see things and she'll, she'll be more upset than I am about things. It's gotten better. And I've tried to tell her to not look at that stuff, but, um, but it's important. I think this is my philosophy and there's some politicians that disagree with this. I think it's important not to engage uh, because I don't find that many battles are won effectively on social media arguments, especially between an elected official and uh, and the public. 
and, that, and that's my opinion. Uh, I have seen people engage, and I cringe because I'm like, oh, my God, you don't know what you're doing. You, you just opened a door to a 1,000 more people to get involved in this conversation. So, um, so I try not to engage. But, but uh, it's better, you know. It, but, but I think your family is always going to be a little bit more d- uh, protective and, and defensive about you. And, and I have some, you know, aunts and uncles, you know, people that have seen me born. And they see people saying stuff about you, and that, that affects them, too. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they never I'm, – I'm a dad, so I look at my three-year-old son, and if some people said the things about me that they said about my son, I would be – uh, I'd want to go fight somebody, you yeah. know, if they said that about my son. So, so I get it, and it it does take thick skin. I, I just would add that in, the decision to engage or not engage is really important because the, the campaign four years before mine, I watched it and it was ugly on social media, just absolutely ugly. And I thought to myself when I got ready to do this, how would I handle it? And I chose the the route you suggested, and I just wouldn't engage in that one because I don't know that you can ever win because someone's probably already made up their mind about you. Uh, but then two, it sucks a lot of time away from product productive activity. And there are so many other things that you could do. And remembering that if you're serving a large constituency to really get pigeonholed with one person that really is not happy for whatever reason on social media, just have to think that through carefully. It's a tool. Again, it can be an effective tool, but you've got to think about that. It's something that you some, sometimes just cannot control. So be, I just say, be careful. I don't know that, again, anyone has the right answers, but I think the mayor's suggestion, recommendation is a good idea. So let's pivot for a second. Uh, going back to your kind of first time as a candidate, um, you're coming from the professional world. You know how to run a restaurant. You know how to run a law firm. You both have very you know, deep understanding of that. You go into a campaign world where most people from the business world, when they go into it, they know nothing about. They're not political animals for the most part. They've, they've done what you've all done. They've been on like charities and boards over the years. And then you get all this advice. You've got to hire this campaign manager. You've got to have this many yard signs. No, it's got to be T-shirts. You should be doing mail. No, you should be mm-hmm. on TV. No, you should be on radio. you get got all these decisions coming at you in a world you really don't understand. What advice would you give to first-time candidates how to put some sanity in that so you can make smart decisions and you don't wake up one day and realize you hired the wrong person or you made the wrong investment in signs when it should have been mail or whatever? How do you sort through that? What advice do you have for folks? I would recommend that folks attend the leadership boot camp. Oh, look at you. Man, that is solid. Because (laughs) I will will tell you that all of the the things that I've heard in the little short time that I was here was great. And and I think if you – do your homework before you run for office. And if you have the luxury of doing that, to make really good decisions. For me, it was the best decisions I made was that I relied upon very good people who knew more than me uh, in terms of campaign finance reports, hired a great professional who knew exactly what to do, kept me out of trouble. And, And being kept out of trouble sometimes is making sure You've got someone who's knowledgeable because I see candidates make mistakes just because they don't know, not because they're intentionally doing something wrong, but they don't know what mm-hmm. to do. So true. And, and I think that in terms of other strategy, again, it, it is trying to be as informed as much as possible, learn as much as you can, 
and I and I talk about leadership boot camp, but it's there are lots of resources, probably not as good as as Lobby's, but lots of <laughs> man, resources. he is two for two. This is gonna be hard to beat. Nick. I'm <laughs> lots telling you, man. of resources out there that you you should take advantage of to prepare. Mm-hmm. It is it is a major undertaking, and I think the more that you can do to prepare yourself in advance, if it's something you hadn't done before, and then you've got to make good judgment calls because I've had people sitting in front of me that made two different recommendations and you've got to make a decision of whether this person is the best uh, professional giving the best advice or not and that just sort of comes with the territory of of leading and so campaigning is a good training ground for for leadership when you serve because you've got to make really good decisions and if you make bad ones you pay consequences if you make good ones you you reap the rewards and dividends of making good decisions uh but but i my strong recommendation would be be as prepared as you can and knowledgeable about the process before you jump in. That's good advice. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely do your research on the, the seat. Do your research on the uh, demographics. And I, I, as much as I encourage people to follow your heart, follow your gut, at the end of the day, you got to have a path to victory. And there are some people that I have some great respect for that have run for office, and I just knew – man, there's no way you can win that seat. And, and they said, well, I prayed on it. Well, the other guy prayed on it too, you know. <laughs> and God didn't, I don't think God gets involved in these things as intricately as some people think he does. Uh, it takes more than prayers to win an election. I'm just being, I'm being blunt, I'm true. being honest. And there were some people that told me four and a half years ago I could never win, but I, I looked at it, I analyzed it, I, I had a group of people around me, and I knew that there was a path to victory. But it certainly wasn't me just saying, you know what, to hell with all that great advice. I'm just going to I'm gonna go trust in the Lord, and I'm going to win this seat. Uh, it just doesn't happen that way, and, and, and that, that's the blunt truth. You've got to make sure that it is attainable, that there is a path to victory. And uh, when you do announce, be prepared for all of your friends and family to all of a sudden be political experts. Everyone is going to know Hey, you're not putting out signs. That was the big one I used to get. You're not putting out signs. What are you doing? By the way, if there was ever a uh, legislative action to ban political signs, I would sign up for that. (laughs) Because I would rather ask someone for money than to put a sign in their front yard. It's just so invasive, you know? And they don't look good. And then after the campaign, they turn in the litter. Anyway, so, so everyone in the world is going to become a, a campaign expert, a political expert. Uh, trust, ha- have trust in your core group, and ultimately, like you said, you're going to have some, uh, some, some people that are telling you two polar opposite things. Uh, you're, the, you're the candidate. Ultimately, you've got to weigh all of the advice you're getting and, and make a decision and move forward with it. Don't be afraid to pivot. And I remember... Four and a half years ago, I remember there was a moment where we were kind of looking at some poll numbers and we were a little concerned, and we made a pivot uh, strategically, and uh, you could see ultimately the result of that, and it was a good choice that we made. You know, we hear um, conflicting viewpoints on the, um, uh, the validity and the accuracy of polls. Some candidates we talk to, they feel like they're, they're, they're tough to do in the current era. People, whether they answer their phone or their cell phone or whatever, other candidates swear by them. Do you all have an opinion on how what role polls played in your campaigns? And also, was there a moment where you just mentioned it where a poll 
told you something you were doing wasn't, wasn't hitting the mark. And time proved that poll accurate. I guess we'll go back to you, Mayor Hunter, because you said there was an instance there. So, uh, so I am undecided on whether I believe in, in polls. Uh, I believe that they give you some a great idea. Uh, I, I absolutely believe that they are beneficial. Um, four and a half years ago, I mentioned that there was a, a poll that showed, for instance, we were not doing well in a certain demographic. And so we adjusted our um, campaign and marketing to feature a little bit more of that group and pivoted. And I, I think it worked. Recently, and this is, I think, a positive thing. I don't know if I've actually said this publicly. I don't mind saying it, but... Uh, breaking, our, breaking news coming. Yeah, breaking well, news. well, our poll was showing that I would win by a certain percentage, but it was off by 20 points. 20? <laughs> in, in the positive way. I won by 20 points more than the poll said I was going to win by. That's a good mistake. And, yeah, it was, and I asked my, my campaign consultants, I said, have you ever seen that it be off that much? And they said no. So, well, what was your gut telling you at the time? When you saw the poll results before the election results came in? Well, did my gut was telling me the poll, the numbers were a little low. I thought I was going to do a little bit better than what the poll said, but not, not as well as I did. I didn't think I was going to do that well. Um, but in any case, it was off by about 20 points. Wow. So I don't know. I'm undecided, but I do think I would rather have the poll and have the number than, than not as a candidate. Rustin? Yeah, so polls are, I will tell you, extremely complicated because sometimes polls, it's a matter of you know, garbage in, garbage out. And that <laughs> is, you know, the, it depends on the questions that are being asked in terms of whether you have a path to victory or you, what you learn from it is something you should rely upon. And you know, there are folks who can develop a poll and ask all sorts of questions, and you might you might be able to rely upon it or not. So I would just say, take that with a bit of a grain of salt. Uh, and if you are really campaigning hard, you know your district, you know your constituents, you will have a pretty good feel of how you're doing if you really are uh, out there. And it depends on the race, obviously. Uh, but I, I think you balance that, uh, you look at it, it gives you an indication, but I'm not convinced that you rely uh, solely on polls. So it is, again, a tool in the tool chest, but it is not the only tool uh, you should use. And again, I think it's also incredibly important who's doing the poll, why is the poll being done, uh, and because like a lot of tools, they can be manipulated in your favor or not. And so just be careful, I would suggest. I'll tell you, I add one more thing to that, and I think this is true for polls, and it's also true when you run into people in the grocery store or knocking on doors. The most honest person, the most honest uh, voter during a campaign is the one that says, I'm not voting for you. That is the most honest person. If they say I'm undecided or, yeah, I, I got you 100%, there's always that little bit of doubt. And I've had people say, I voted for you. And I know they don't even live in the city limits of Lake Charles. You know, I say, well, thank you. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, you didn't vote for me. You live in but do you have a lot of people who will tell you to your face they didn't vote for you? Not a lot, but that's why I'm saying I appreciated it when yeah. they would say it because it was the most honest thing that someone could say that's is, right. and oftentimes was a very respectful, uh, but it would be, I, I appreciate you. Thank you for what you're doing, but I'm, I'm voting for so-and-so. Uh, and... And so just, you know, that, that to me was always uh, the person you could really believe. And so I do think with polls, 
if if you're if you knew your opponents uh, were getting twenty percent, thirty percent, whatever it was, I, for me that was a good base to say, okay, well, if if thirty percent of people are saying I'm not voting for you, I'm definitely voting for that other guy. That was at least a good base for me to know this is the this is the population I know I'm I'm probably not going to get right. Well, we're drawing to a near on timeline, but we have a uh, we do have a live audience here, and there are some folks who have run for office before, and some pondering maybe their first run for office one day soon. So, does anyone here in the room who wants to ask a question? If so, come on up to this mic and fire away. Hi, can you hear me? Well, my name is Matthew Whelan. Uh, just want to say thank you for this opportunity to speak, and thank you for sharing all these uh, great words of wisdom and advice. But if I could ask for some more advice as a <laughs> as a younger person um, with aspirations to make Louisiana an even better place to live, um, what is some advice you'd give to some younger um, candidates like myself? Um, you know, just paving the way and um, you know campaigning and getting an office one day. Matthew, quick follow up on that. Uh, where do you live, and what type of office maybe are you thinking about? Well, I'm, I'm still considering it right now. Yeah. Um, I, I live in Mandeville. So hour east of here. Excellent. Um, so right now I'm just learning as much as I can, um, getting my ducks in a row, and I'm just a sponge right now, soaking up as much as I can, and um, just I'm on a listening tour the next couple of years, just just learning right now. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you, I was 27 when I first ran for police jury and won, and again there was a lot of people that said you're 27, you're not ready for that. Uh, I was 33 when I was elected mayor. And there was a lot of people that said, you're too young, you're not ready for that. There's a lot of people that are kind of in line ahead of you. I think I would reaffirm what I said a moment ago to certainly um, be a sponge, hear a lot of information. Um, ultimately, if you have a fire in your belly, fire in your soul to do something, I would never encourage someone not to do it. Just know that you have a path to victory. Uh, choose something that you know is attainable. At 27, I kind of had an inkling, I will admit, I kind of had an inkling that one day I knew I wanted to be mayor. But I knew at 27 to jump at that age from uh, restaurant uh, owner to being mayor at 27 was going to be a tough, a tough sell. So police jury was a, a great experience, and to prove yourself uh, at something like that I knew was, was attainable. So be a sponge, uh, sur sur surround yourself with, with, with great advice. Listen to your gut, but also listen to your mind as well, and choose something that is attainable. You know, uh, my story is a, a little different. In fact, it's very different, and that is uh, I'm 54 now. The first time I ran for political office was two years ago. I was 52. So um, it was not my aspiration to necessarily run for public office. But what that meant for me, though, is that my life's work was now on the line and on display. And for my Bessie district, and it's a huge winding district from uh, North Tangy all the way to St. Landry Parish and Avoyles, and um, the second largest pocket in my district happens to be St. Landry Parish. I grew up in St. Landry Parish, and, uh, but I've lived in Baton Rouge for such a long time, and um, when I went back and started really campaigning, it was really uh, a reflection on what I had done when I was in high school, middle school, as a young adult, 
And my whole life now sort of came into focus. And the, the point is, is that as a young person aspiring for public office, the first thing is always do good work. People are always paying attention. And for me, um, don't make it all about I'm going to run for public office. This is about serving. And whatever the opportunity is to serve the public in whatever way, if, and, and that is whether you own a business, if you're a restauranter, if you are a lawyer, a teacher, that you're always serving people and people are always judging you in terms of what you've done. And if you do whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's owning a small business, whether it's working in a, a company, if you do a really, really good job at that, people will always pay attention. And then they will support you if you decide to do something greater because they know that when you did this, you did a really great job at it. And then the doors will continue to open. So the, the best thing for anyone, and this is probably just true for in life in general, is whatever it is that you're doing right now, do a really great job and know that the world really is watching you. I think that's great advice, and I haven't run, but I'm going to give some also. Uh, I would just say that the folks that we engage with that are elected officials, I can always tell which ones ran to acquire power and which ones ran to make a difference. And if, if anyone's thinking about running for office because they simply want to acquire power, I would urge them to maybe choose another way to do so. But if you truly want to run to make a difference, there's really no wrong way to do it because you're always, every day, you're going to wake up, you're going to look yourself in the mirror, and you're going to look at yourself and say, how do I make a difference today? And that's just good things will emanate from that type of approach to public service. If it's the other, you can get in trouble pretty fast, and you can you know, end up making, causing more damage than, than good. And we, we see that sometimes in folks we represent. But um, great question, Matthew. I appreciate that. Any other questions? Thank you all. Appreciate audience? it. Hi, good afternoon. Hi. My name is Annie Perrette. I'm from Lafayette, and I want to thank you both for being here today, um, and thank you for your service. I, I very much appreciate it. And also thank you to Lobby and Louisiana Free Enterprise Institute for having this leadership boot camp. Um, I kind of wanted to end on a um, funny note, but I was wondering if you could tell us, um, during your campaign, um, was there something that you experienced What's the funniest thing you experience while uh, on the campaign trail? Whether it's walking door to door or whether it's meeting with constituents, can you uh, give us an example of something that uh, was, you know, <laughs> thrown out of left field? You know. Okay, I got a, a pretty decent one, I think. So uh, on election day, it is kind of expected that you go out and stand on the street corner and wave your sign. And you know what, whether it gets a vote or not, it shows people that you are willing to do it. So uh, I do it, and I've done it the last, I guess, every, every election day. So there was a really uh, busy street corner, and with social media, uh, it was me and three other candidates that were in the race, so it was four of us. So I'm on the street corner, about 15 minutes later, one of my opponents comes and he's on the other street corner. I was like, ah, this is funny, ha ha ha. About 20 minutes later, the third guy shows up. He's on the third street corner. And I kid you not, about 20 minutes later, the fourth guy shows up. So there was about <laughs> half an hour where these, these poor motorists were being <laughs> assaulted, bombarded by four of us on every street corner. 
And I ended up taking a little video of it because I was like, man, this has got to be history. The fact that in the city of Lake Charles, there's four people running for mayor, and there's one on on every street corner of this one intersection. Uh, I found that kind of funny, and, and they did too. So it, it, was, it was a funny moment. That's great. I had something similar to that happen. But uh, my story uh, is that, you know, I tried to return everybody's phone call when I was campaigning, and people would call me. And I didn't know why, but I wanted to make sure I returned phone call. And there was uh, this little, I'll say little old lady that called. And she said, look, you know, I, I've been reading about you, and I, I really want to ask you some questions. I'm driving down Highway 190 from Baton Rouge to, to Opelousas. And this lady, who, again, sounds uh, elderly, starts asking me about things, my, my position on certain issues. Now, remember, I'm running for the State Board of Education. And she starts asking me about some education issues, and then, and then she says, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been around a long time, and I, I really want to vote for you, but I just need to know your position on this. And then finally she started asking me my position on abortion. And then I said, you know, I haven't served on Bessie before, but I'm pretty sure I'm never going to have to take a vote on abortion. And I realized at that moment in time that that lady was just get, she was probably recording me and just simply trying to get information. And, but she did it so well that I think at the end of the call when she got ready to hang up, I heard her laughing. Uh, and I was, I was glad that I didn't say anything inappropriate, but I finally just said, look, I, I just don't know why, why you're asking me some of the questions. But it was, a, it was funny for me. but It was also a, a lesson to never let your guard down because People aren't always well-meaning, and some, some people just want to get you. And so uh, be careful because uh, you just never know. Thank you both for your service. I'll tell you, in that, you. In that same vein, it, it's funny how the number of legislators we talk to in the state capitol, that it's quite common for them to get phone calls about things in Washington, D.C., and, you know, when you get into a campaign, elected office, you assume that everyone knows what's going on and knows your jurisdiction and knows what you can do and can't do. And the reality is most constituents – they just know you're elected. They don't know if you're there to help them get their trash picked up or you're making sure we don't go to Afghanistan in a war or something like that. They don't know anywhere in between. And so they're just going to call whoever they know on some of that stuff. So we have time for one more question. So let's, yes, let's do that. Thank you. Ravis Martinez out of Lafayette. Um, thank you, gentlemen, for your service and your time. My question is, um, being a servant leader, um, you're serving a constituents that uh, one side loves you, one side's going to hate you. Um, where's the balance? How are you judging success in ensuring that you're really touching your entire constituency um, and really trying to make inroads with folks that didn't vote for you, didn't support you, um, but you know it's important for you to be able to reach out. Um, I think you said that Mayor Roach, you had to pivot to grab a constituents that probably wasn't with you at the beginning. Um, how, do you, how do you make that move? Or how do you say I've been successful into reaching out to that group? Well, for me, it was uh, being very open and accessible and very honest. Uh, and any time I sit down with somebody, especially if I know we're on different ends of the political spectrum, I, I, I've said this many times. I will say uh, we're not always going to agree, and that's okay. Uh, I will always be respectful when we disagree, but I'm never going to lie to you. And I'm always going to tell you the way I feel about something, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why I feel that way. And so um, I kept that promise. That's, that's my motto. My motto is I'm not going to lie, 
but I am going to uh, be bold if I, I believe something strongly. And at the end of the day, you, uh, if you do try and make everybody happy, you will get nothing accomplished. And so I have reminded myself that I was elected. And then recently, uh, a month ago, I, I reminded my staff, I said, guys, we were reelected. And so we're doing some things right. And so you, you, um, you always try to soften a blow if you know it's going to be controversial. You know, I never, I never believed in just throwing a grenade and, and letting things happen, uh, letting the bodies fly where they would. I always tried to soften things if I knew they were going to be controversial. Um, and, and I think that helps, too. If you, if you kind of prepare people, say, look, this is about to come out, especially with council members, too, legislatively, as, as a mayor, get council members together and say, look, this, I'm about to have this position on something. We're about to make this public. I know we're probably going to disagree, but I want to give you a heads up. I want to let you know this is the way I feel about it. And as opposed to just letting a bomb go off and saying, to hell with everybody else, this is the way I feel. Deal with it. You know, I will give a lot of credit to this particular Bessie board. We've got 11 members, and when we assumed office, whether elected or appointed, um, that people sort of tried to put each one of us in a box, and that this person is that type of uh, candidate and will be this type of leader. And for our board, what I've really learned is that we're, I think we're all incredibly independent thinkers, and and we don't just simply vote on issues categorically, that we listen very carefully to what's before us and try to make the right decision. And, and I'll say by extension, I think people are a lot more complicated than we give them credit for. Sometimes they may be focused on one particular issue, and, and they have a strong opinion about that. But typically when you serve in public office, there's, there are a lot of issues and that you will deal with. And, and you might find yourself aligned with someone that you may be very much opposed to on one other issue. And I think when people recognize, and you recognize, that we're not going to always agree on particular issues, but we might agree on some things. In fact, we might have a lot more in common than we realize. We've got this one issue that we don't agree upon. But there might be these 95 other things that we do agree upon. And I think if you start communicating that, look, we're all trying to figure out the right answers. Let's, we might disagree on this one particular issue at this moment in time. But if we change the facts a little bit, we might find some common ground. And I think when you can share that with people, that we disagree right now, Stephen, on this one issue. Mm -hmm. But there are so many others that we might be able to agree upon and work together to better our community. And I think if you can continue to share that message and pull people to the table to, to the question that was asked, I think the better off you will be as an individual leader, and I think the community will be better served because then people don't just box themselves into corners and refuse to get out of them, and then we just find ourselves never able to communicate. I think that's an undervalued skill that um, people don't often recognize the successful elected officials that stay successful over a long run. It's not because they always tell people what they want to hear. 
it's because they know how to present an opposite view in a way that doesn't drive away that person, that they understand is coming from a credible point, that it keeps that dialogue open. Those are the successful ones over time, that you can deliver bad news in a way that still has that person believing in you. So it, it is a, a undervalued skill set. Well, we have run short on time. I could go for hours on this, uh, but let me just close with this. I really want to appreciate not just you both participating here today, but for making the decision to pursue elected office. Too often uh, in most states, but especially here in Louisiana, you have successful people in the business community who either don't make that jump or quite frankly feel like they're not the right person. They're not, they're not skilled enough to be an elected official. And it's so, it's so not true. And so I really appreciate you, not just your service, but uh, being a, a symbol and a model for others to choose that whether it's in your early 20s, you know you want to do it, or maybe it's in your early 50s, you say, why heck, why, why not, what the heck. Um, either way, there's no bad time to say you want to go for elective office and make a difference in Louisiana, because it's going to take a lot of good people like yourselves getting involved to truly get us to where we need to be. So with that, I'd like to ask for our group here, let's give them a round of applause for their great... And that wraps up our um, latest edition of Deep Dive, Deep Dive Live this time with our Tales from the Trail. Uh, tune in for next time when we tell the story of uh, Louisiana policymakers and businesses and elected officials who are truly making a difference to make our state better. Thanks a lot. Thank you.